Also, would you turn with me in your Bibles to Revelation chapter 21, verses 1 through 6. It's on page 1,769. We are continuing our lectionary sermon series through the book of Revelation. Um, (laughs) Norm just said to me a bit ago, we started this thing about four or five weeks ago, and we're already at chapter 21. (laughs) Totally, touche. So what we're doing is we're, we're following the lectionary, okay? And the lectionary goes through Revelation really quickly. It's hitting on major, major themes. So we spent time in chapter 1 and chapter 5 and chapter 7. Today we jump all the way to chapter 21 to the second to last chapter of the book of Revelation. So obviously there's, um, we're treating them like flyover chapters. They're not flyover chapters, but we're treating them as such. Uh, and there is something regrettable about this because there's a lot of really wonderful content that we're kind of skipping over here. But the lectionary has a point in addressing each one of the texts that it has us address. It has a theme that it's um, um, expressing as we go along. So we're only hitting a few highlights. And you'll notice um, we went really fast to the first 21 chapters, but then we slow way down. So we have... We spent time in chapter 1, chapter 5, chapter 7, and then this week is chapter 21. Next week is a different text in chapter 21, and then the week after that is chapter 22. So these last two chapters get a ton of attention at this point um, in the lectionary, and for good reason. So it's almost like we're going to have a little series within our series on Revelation because these last three weeks, today and the next two Sundays, we're really focusing in on all of these words in the last two chapters which have to do with how things end. Not just the book of Revelation, but the Bible and um, all things. So how does it end? How does everything end? What does all of this mean? That's what we're looking at these last three weeks. So, uh, Revelation chapter 21, the first six verses. Listen to God's word. Then I saw, John writes, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. He said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give water without cost from the spring of the water of life. This is the word of the Lord. So, my favorite commentary on the book of Revelation is written by Eugene Peterson, It's called Reversed Thunder. 
and I highly recommend it. So if you want to dig into some of those texts that we just flew right over, you're welcome to do that by reading Peterson's text. It's really, really quite wonderful. It's called Reverse Thunder. And a pastor friend of mine uh, reminded me recently about this really powerful quote um, from Eugene Peterson that is in this book. Can we put that quote up here? Peterson says, Heaven is a metaphor in the scripture that tells us there is far more here than meets the eye. Heaven is a metaphor in the scripture that tells us there is far more here than meets the eye. Now, Peterson is not saying that heaven is only a metaphor. Okay? He's not saying that heaven isn't really real, it's just a metaphor. In fact, uh, Eugene Peterson is in heaven right now. That's how real it is. He's saying heaven is absolutely real, but it's also, as it's used in Scripture, it's used as a metaphor. So in addition to it being a real place, it's a metaphor in the Scriptures that tells us that there is far more here on earth going on than meets the eye. So all throughout the Bible, uh, whether uh, it's Jesus or the prophets or the apostles or anybody else talking about heaven or talking about the kingdom of heaven, they're really talking about heaven in two different senses. The first one is the kind of traditional one for us, which is that heaven's up there and it's out there. And it's the place that that when when we die in Christ, it's the place that we will go. And we're going to talk a little bit more about that the next few weeks. But also, just as much in the Bible, heaven is understood to be this realm that is all around us. This realm that is all around us and that is coming to us. And it's developing more and more and expressing itself more and more. And heaven is coming to bear on our existence. So in the Bible, heaven isn't just something that's far away, this place where we'll go when we die in Christ. It is that, but it's also more. Heaven is this force that is actively imposing itself on earth in real time, right here, right now. Heaven is imposing itself on our existence. That's the biblical understanding of heaven. So if that's the case, What do you think that the original readers of this text, the original readers of this letter in Revelation, were thinking and experiencing when they read these words? Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and there was no longer any sea. And I saw the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. I think they were probably thinking heaven is getting closer and closer and closer and closer and I can almost feel it and it's coming around us and it's coming and it's coming and one day heaven will be here entirely and absolutely. Now, in order to, to, to really get what was going on in the minds of these first century Christians with regards to heaven, we need to understand their cosmology. Cosmology is a fancy word that refers to someone's understanding of the universe. So your cosmology is your answer to the question, what does the universe look like? 
What does the universe look like? Your answer to that question is your cosmology. So our cosmology, to answer that question, would be this. Next slide. That's our cosmology. That's what we believe that the universe looks like. In fact, it's a picture, actually, of what, you know, from one vantage point, um, what the smallest speck of the universe looks like. But, but you get where I'm going with this. So we, we are the tiniest speck on the tiniest rock in the tiniest of galaxies. We are unfathomably small in this picture, right? We are unfathomably small in this picture. And our cosmology, then, has a huge impact on the way that we look at the world. It has a huge impact on the way that we understand the universe and our place in the universe. It has a huge impact on the way that we think about God and who he is and where he is. And our cosmology has a huge impact on what we understand about heaven. So that's our cosmology. Let's look at the ancient Hebrew cosmology. Next slide. So this is the ancient Hebrew cosmology. This is their version of what, what they thought the universe looked like, right? So if you read the Bible as a science book, this is what you get. Nothing more, nothing less. The Bible as a science book looks like that. So we've got um, the firmament. Well, let's start here. The earth down here, right? This is where people are. And we've got the sun, moon, and stars really not that far away, maybe a mile, mile and a half up off the earth. Okay, they're, they're not that big. Down here we have the columns of the earth, which is such an interesting thing. Uh, the columns of the earth on which the earth rests against what? Nobody's quite sure, right? Maybe it's turtles all the way down, we don't know. And then up here we have this uh, almost concrete looking thing up here. That's the firmament. The firmament is the thing that stands in between the heavens, or the firmament, and the earth. And it holds in, you can see the floodgates there. Every once in a while, the firmament gets a little too heavy. It becomes a little too much. And then it breaks through, and it rains. Because, well, when you look up outside, there's a big, blue, fluffy, water-filled cloud up there, mass up there. Everybody can see that, right? The big blue thing, it must be water. And then so when the water comes down, that's how we get water down here on the earth. So in the biblical cosmology, in the ancient Hebrew cosmology, this is the heavens and this is the earth. Now, from an ancient Hebrew perspective, cosmological perspective, here's the story of the Bible. Ready? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And if you read that story, um, God was with his people down here on the earth, wasn't he? He was with Adam and Eve, walking with them in the garden in the cool of the day. And everything was so great. So they walked down here in the middle of the day, in the cool of the day, in the garden. But then sin happened. Something really, really terrible happened. And what happened then is God disappeared. And he went back up. And in this realm of the heavens is where God began to live entirely, apart from where people were on the earth. So for generations and generations, the prayer of God's people has been that this part 
and this part would become reconciled. That once again, God would come back down to earth so that we could have that thing that we had back in Genesis where God walked with human beings during the cool of the day. So the great longing of all of God's people throughout all of Scripture is that God in all of his fullness would come back down to be with human beings in all of their fullness. Here's something I learned this week. For centuries and centuries, God's people have had a special place in their heart for one location where heaven and earth seemed to be coming together. Can you think where that might be? A place where heaven and earth seemed to be coming together. Next slide, please. It's called the horizon. So imagine yourself living in a world that is the Hebrew cosmology. This is Lake Michigan, by the way, which is pretty great. You should check it out. The horizon is that place where the heavenly world and the earthly world come together. It's that place where that thing that we're longing for, that thing that we're praying for, that, that God would rend the heavens and come down, that earth and heaven would kiss, that earth and heaven would come together. At that The horizon is the place where that's actually happening. It's, it's actually happening. It's developing. It's on its way. It's that marriage of heaven and earth that you can actually see with your own two eyes. For those of you who, like me, are uh, word nerds, the word horizon comes from the Latin word ora, or orats, which means prayer. The word horizon means prayer. Oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down. Oh, that everything that was in heaven would come down to be with us here on earth. So in the ancient cosmology, the horizon is a prayer. It's a prayer for the reconciliation of heaven and earth. It's this prayer that all of life would become like it is over there on the horizon. It's our longing that heaven and earth would be, would be one. It's the thing that we're longing for. Here's something for all of us to take with us today. The horizon, no matter where you are, no matter where your cosmology, what your cosmology, the horizon is a reminder that God is never far off. Those of you who are more contemplative, meditative, that's one to put in your pipe and smoke for a while. The horizon is a reminder that God is never far off. The, the horizon is a reminder that, the, that heaven, especially the kingdom of heaven, is here. Heaven and earth kiss. And that heaven isn't just this place beyond the firmament. It isn't just this place beyond that big water-filled puffy thing up, up in the sky. But it's also here and it's coming and it's developing and it's bearing on our existence. Eugene Peterson um, talks about how, in his commentary, talks about how important it is for us to find thin places, thin places. And he describes thin places as being places where the barrier between heaven and earth feel like it's just paper thin. 
just paper thin. Like it's tissue paper that separates earth from heaven. Thin places where, where heaven feels like it's just in your next breath, where heaven feels so imminent and so close. Can you think of any thin places? Uh, the horizon of Lake Michigan, that's a thin place, isn't it? You ever feel it when you're looking out there? Books can be thin places. Uh, music makes for a lot of thin places. Worship is a, is, a, is a thin place. It's incredibly thin around here. Do you feel that? Do you feel how thin it is around here? Confession is a thin place because of the vulnerability, because of, because of the, the love and acceptance of our forgiver. Confession is a thin place. Joan and Pat Nagel sat in a thin place this week. They were in the room with Christopher while he took his final breaths and went from one life to the next. A terribly thin place. Tragic, but profound. These are the thin places. Places where earth and heaven really don't feel that far apart from each other. I am very grateful that we have our cosmology, right? It's good, it's good to have an accurate picture of how things actually are. I'm very, very grateful for our cosmology. I'm glad that we know that the earth is not flat. I'm glad that we know that the firmament doesn't actually exist. I'm glad that we, that we know that there are no columns that hold up the earth on top of turtles that go all the way down or whatever. But at the same time, there is something about the biblical cosmology that I wish we had in our understanding of the universe. Because in the biblical cosmology, in the ancient Hebrew cosmology, God feels so much closer, doesn't he? Like if the sun is only a mile up in the air, and God is just on the other side of the sun? <laughs> then it feels like if you were to scream loud enough, he would actually startle, right? There's something really wonderful about that cosmology because God is just right up there. It feels like if you, you, know, if, if you really made yourself known, he could hear you. But it doesn't feel like that so much in a universe that is filled with zillions and zillions of galaxies where we can't even comprehend our own tiny one. God doesn't, doesn't feel as close in our cosmology, but he is. Friends, I promise you that he is. He's never withdrawn. He's never escaped. He's never put distance between us and him, enough distance that he himself could not bridge. God is never far away. And heaven is invading earth. And one day, it will invade absolutely 
And on that day, our cosmology will be even bigger, I imagine, than the one that we have today. In fact, it'll make that picture we put up a while ago, it'll make, we'll laugh about it, like we laughed about the earlier one. Someday we will laugh about that one, and we'll say, oh, we were so foolish to think that there were only zillions and zillions of infinite galaxies. That's what we'll think. But even though our cosmology may continue to increase tenfold, a hundredfold, 10,000 times 10,000, in the end, God will only feel closer and closer and closer because heaven is invading earth. All the more reasons, brothers and sisters, we need to find those thin places. We need to find those thin places and we need to make it our work to show up there for ourselves and for each other. Let's go to that quote from Peterson again. Heaven is a metaphor in Scripture that tells us that there is far more here than meets the eye. How's your imagination today? We're going to talk about this more in the next couple of weeks, this kind of sermon series within a sermon series. But here's the vision. John says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there there was no longer any sea. And then I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down from heaven, down from God, prepared as a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. Brothers and sisters, the kingdom of God is at hand. Pray with me. Our Father who art in heaven, we imagine you in a place far, far away. We imagine with great comfort our brother Christopher with you today. We imagine the sun and moon and stars which you have set in place. And we wonder at how tiny we are. And our Father who art in heaven, we thank you for the heaven that is here. We thank you for the heaven that has grown, that is taking root in us and all around us. As our world continues to get bigger and bigger and bigger, may our sense of your presence continue to get smaller and smaller even more intimate. We thank you, Father in heaven, that you have given us a piece of heaven today, this thin place of worship, and this thin place where we dine at the table of your Son. And as we take this bread and this cup into our very selves, may we know even more intimately this thin place. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.